You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the Beckett Cook Show. I'm Beckett Cook, and today I want to talk about your one of your favorite subjects, feminism. And the reason I bring this up, by the way, I we we kind of wrapped up last week Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and uh, I may go back to it a little bit, but I'm going to, as I said before, I'm going to interview him on the show, but, um, not until the fall, which is kind of a far, a long way away, but I will interview Carl Truman in the fall and, um, kind of get some final thoughts from him too on this, on his book. And, and, uh, it was just such a, an opening, amazing book. But today I want to talk about feminism. And the reason this even came up was I was, Look, I was reading an article in the New York Times, a couple articles and uh, the other day, and one of them, the headline is, Margot St. James, Advocate for Sex Workers, Dies at 83. And so there was a, an obituary about this woman, Margaret St. James, and and in the article, of course, you know, this this obituary celebrating her for advocating for sex workers <clears throat> and she in the article it refers to her as in most New York Times articles that it refers to any woman it refers to her as Ms St James MS period Ms St James it's such a kind of subtle feminist indicator so i want to look at Ms magazine which came out the first uh, publication, I think, was in 1971 or 72, and it was co-founded by Gloria Steinem and by, uh, what's her name, Dorothy Hughes, and it was the first national American feminist magazine, and it was a huge, huge hit, and the the first cover of the magazine, which you'll see here, is... The it depicts a pregnant version of the Hindu goddess Kali using eight arms to hold a clock, a skillet, a typewriter, a rake, a mirror, a telephone, a steering wheel, and an iron. And so, and you can see also that the Hindu goddess is pregnant as well. So, there's so much going on on this cover that's very you can just kind of see the the contempt. Uh, for women, for stay-at-home mothers, as I've talked about before, you can see there's such a contempt for a woman who stays home and takes care of her family, and there there's just such a a kind of anti-family, anti uh, anti-male, anti-man kind of uh, vibe about this cover, and the. The uh, there's the the four kind of t- articles on the cover of the magazine 
the four headlines are Gloria, number one, Gloria Steinem on sisterhood. So, of course, you know, that's going to be a very feminist article. And then the another one is Letty Pogrebin Pogrebin on raising kids without sex roles. So again, this is 1972 and it, and we're, we're already talking about raising kids without sex roles. So this goes back a long way where we are today with, with gender roles and, and, uh, all that, that that's going on in the culture. And then there's, uh, a piece called Sylvia Plath's last major work. And of course they would include Sylvia Plath in this <laughs> first edition of Ms. But I mean, we all read the bell jar in high school or college and the bell jar is one of the most depressing novels ever written. And, you know, Sylvia Plath, of course, committed suicide in the sixties, I think 1963 or five. And, uh, and so I, I don't really want advice from Sylvia Plath on how to live my life. But, and then the last, the last article is women tell the truth about their abortions. And so again, this is, this is pre Roe v. Wade. So this is one year before Roe v. Wade when, uh, abortion became the law of the land, a legalized abortion on demand. And, um, and they also offered, there was a coupon in this magazine in the first edition where you could, you could write in and, and, and tell the readers could write in and tell about their own abortions or, or sit or be counted as having an abortion. So it was very pro abortion. And you can see how even this magazine probably helped lead up to helped help the case Roe v. Wade and helped abortion become legal. And there had been feminist journalism for many, many decades before this, but this was the first kind of glossy publication that was available in, you know, supermarkets and, um, and newsstands and convenience store racks. So this was kind of the first, mainstream feminist magazine. And I remember as a kid seeing it at the grocery store and, you know, seeing Ms and not really understanding what that meant or, or what, but wow, was it how powerful that magazine was and how much influence it had. The first, the first uh, edition sold over it sold out immediately like in i think in eight days it sold three hundred thousand copies in eight days and the radical feminist uh periodical called off our backs there was a (laughs) radical feminist periodical in i think 1971 and of course it, it was called off our backs which is such a 70s kind of term uh off our backs and they likened this this ms magazine as kind of a a great tactic to slip to slip feminist ideas into quote american homes concealed in bags of groceries like tarantulas on banana boats and of course 
what a tarantula this ideology and this uh, this movement was. So Ms. Magazine had a huge impact on the culture. It's still around today. I think it's a quarterly magazine now. It's kind of lost some of its steam because there's so many conflicting interests now with the trans movement and all kinds of things. So uh, plus magazine magazines are dead t- to begin with. But I just think of my mother was, you know, she was basically an anti-feminist. My mother, my father's name was Leslie Cook. I know that sounds like a woman's name, but his name was Leslie Cook. I guess that named after Leslie Howard from Gone with the Wind. Was that the movie he was in? Yeah, I think so. But, and my mother's name was Diane Cook. But I remember as a kid, my mother would always identify herself and even get her mail. And she would go by Mrs. Leslie Cook. It was such a kind of a, I mean, to me as a kid, I never quite understood it. And I often, in high school, I kind of fought my mother on her anti-feminism, her traditionalism. And um, I, in, 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 in even later in life, I fought her on that. And, uh, but she was ardently anti-feminist and, you know, my mother had eight children, which is... <laughs> And anathema today to have that many kids. My mother had eight children. She stayed at home with, I mean, she stayed at home with us. And I just, you know, this, this magazine, Ms. Magazine, immediately just the, uh, the whole concept of it and the whole concept of the feminist movement in general is just like, it's a, basically a Marxist movement. It's instead of class conflict, it's gender conflict. And so or sex conflict. So it's, it's pitting the sexes against each other. And it's, there's all, there's this constant sort of this rebellious nature to it. It's a very Marxist rebellious revolutionary nature to the feminist movement. And, and you see the results of that today. I mean, you see the results of the feminist movement and how women and men interact and and how there's this kind of constant battle between men and women and how there's almost this sort of competition and um, this animus between men and women. And by the way, Eve was the first feminist. She was the first Eve in the garden with Adam. She was the first strong, independent woman. And, and we see... <laughs> What happened? She plunged the world into utter chaos because of her uh, strong independence. Uh, but Adam was guilty too, obviously. So, um, yeah, and I, I think of, well, I think of a couple people in my life. There's a friend of mine. She and her husband. She went to UCLA. She might be watching this now. She went to UCLA and got a degree in graphic design and and her husband uh, studied theology and they ended up becoming missionaries overseas. And what's what's so great about them is how, I mean, their marriage is so um, strong and they're such a, there's such a balance to it. And 
she could have easily said, you know, when she graduated with that degree, she could have easily said, no, I'm not going on on a missions. I'm not moving to another country to be a missionary. I just got this degree and I'm going to, you know, become a graphic designer and, and be a success. And, but instead she submitted to, which we'll get into. I want to talk about Paul's, um, Paul's teaching on submission and Peter, uh, but she submitted to her husband who's, who's godly. She submitted to her godly husband and she, she basically forwent her own career and moved her and her family to, to a country overseas. And, and it's, 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 that's how that kind of, um, that kind of biblical marriage is key to a, a marriage surviving. And when, when, and the reason I'm even talking about feminism and the talking about the feminist movement is because it's infiltrated the church, obviously. Uh, and even it's just, it's all, it's, we just take it in by osmosis. It's all around us. And so obviously we're affected by it in the church and we start to believe we've already believed the lies of it as Christians. And so it's important to, to be aware of what the, what's coming at us and what feminist doctrine is coming at us and to, to compare that with what biblical theology is on this and, and to use the Bible as the, the plumb line, as I always say, instead of the culture. And I also think of a friend of mine who he's young, he's, you know, I think he's 30 years old. He, he got married to his wife when they were, you know, very young, I guess 23 or so, 20, I can't remember, but she went to UCL, USC and had got her degree and she was a film major. And so she was going to be a film producer and she's very capable and very smart and very energetic. And she, they both decided that after when they were getting married, that she would drop that basically. And instead she had babies and stayed at home and took care of them and is still doing that obviously now. And, um, and, and I talked to my friend, the guy, and he, he just, he had this, he has such a great kind of understanding of it. And he's like, the most creative thing a human being can do is to the most wonderful and creative thing a human being can do is to have a child and raise that child. It's such a beautiful, creative, and it's a lot of hard work. It's the most important job in the world. It's way more important than working at some fashion magazine or somewhat whatever, or, or working at Ms. Magazine. It's so much more important. And he, his kind of idea was just true. It's like, it's the man's job to go out into the world and, and to, to do the gritty stuff. So the woman can, can, the wife can 
have children and raise them. Like that's kind of the role. And, and it goes back to the, the fall. And in Genesis three, we see the result of the fall and it, it's, uh, women, women having pain and childbearing, basically, uh, uh, God says, um, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. And then for the man, it is by the sweat of your face. God says, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for you are dust and dust. You shall return. So kind of the curse of the woman is in childbearing, the pain of childbearing and in man, the, the pain and toil of, of working. And also I have a friend who, is in her kind of mid to late fifties. And she, she was very much, she bought into the feminist movement very much. So she lives in Hollywood and she works in Hollywood and she very much bought into feminism was a total feminist throughout her career. And now she is single and she has no children. She's, she's never been married. And now she's so angry that she was lied to by feminists her whole life and that she bought into that. And, you know, there was always kind of like, um, in the night, I think it was in the nineties or eighties, just like on Oprah Winfrey, there were always shows about can women have it all? And it was always about these these really successful women who were CEOs or movie stars, but they also had children and they they had this and they they could do it all. And that was such a lie and it was so damaging to families and to women who felt like, can I? I, I and women struggling to do it, like to raise their children and work, which is insane. How it's it's like that amount of pressure and that amount of that expectation placed on women was i'm sure i'm sure very uh much very much a part of why the divorce rate is so extremely high and and i i was recently i was in texas a couple of weeks ago i spoke at a church which was a great i had a great time i spoke i gave four different talks on basically on homosexuality and uh and on the plane ride back i noticed that the the movie devil wears prada was on american airlines it was one of the available movies and i just remember seeing that movie when it came out i think it was 2006 when it came out and i was thinking i just was thinking about that movie and the character Andy, who's played by Andrea, Andrea, or whatever her name is, played by Anne Hathaway. And how it's just, it's kind of this, we're on just autopilot in this culture where she moves to New York from Chicago. Of course, she's like, you know, has to be from the Midwest. So she can have this kind of transformation in New York. But she moves to New York after college and you know it's like it's like this whole kind of idea of like i have to make it big in a career i have to be a career woman and kind of like 
you know, outdo my friends or uh, just be a success in my career. That's kind of like the default position of, of women in our culture. And it's like, that's not necessarily so that's it's. And again, I go back to my friend and his wife where she's doing the most beautiful, creative, amazing, important work in the world, raising children in this culture, raising children and raising a family. And, and it's just such a beautiful compliment. And in Genesis 2, we know that God created woman out of man. And, and it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, that word, the word helper does not mean assistant. It means a helpmate. Um, but there is an order to the creation. There is a divine order that God created. And uh, and there is the same, there's the same kind of thing going on in the Trinity. There's, and we'll get to Ephesians five in a second, but in the Trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit are, are equal in value, but they have different roles. There's different roles. And we as human beings have different roles. Men and women have different roles. And in Ephesians five, Paul says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, we know this, I'll go on in a second, but we know that this isn't, that this is transcultural because uh, Paul is, gr- is grounding his argument for wives submitting to their husbands into this Christ in the church, which is eternal. So we know that it's not just this is Paul talking in his day and it it's only applicable to that day. But of course, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But then he goes on, which is very important. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he goes on and on. And then he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so there's this dynamic of wives submitting to their husbands. And and it's not submitting, you're submitting to, again, to a husband that loves you as Christ loves the church. So there's a self-sacrificial love going on. And if if there's, and in my, my parents were like this, my parents, my mother submitted to my father and if there was a very difficult decision to make in our family, they would talk about it. Of course, they would discuss it. But and at the end of the day, my father had the final word. And if you don't live like that, again, that's why the divorce rate is so gigantic. Because now there's this idea of that, why should you have the final word? I should have the final word. So there's this constant this pitting against each other and it leads to all sorts of pain, suffering, broken families, broken homes, broken lives, et cetera, et cetera, broken world. And so there's a beauty to this, the way God ordains marriage and the the way he ordains how men and women operate in marriage and, and, uh, 
Ms. Magazine is so antithetical to that. But and then, of course, in Colossians, Colossians chapter three, Paul again says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, and then in Peter says something similar in first Peter chapter three, he says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And he goes on and on to, uh, to talk about husbands and wives, but there is a balance. There's a biblical beauty to submission. And, you know, as a single person, I submit to Christ. Christ is, I, and I, as I've said before, I love submitting. I love being submissive to Jesus. <laughs> I love being submissive to my father in heaven because I know he loves me. And I know he cares about me and I know he wants what is, what, what's best for me. And so I'm more than happy to submit to him. I don't, I don't ever feel like, Oh, I, why do you, you know, why all these rules, God? It's like, no, I love being obedient to him. So I hope that helped. I just, I had to talk about that because, because I was just triggered by the word, <laughs> the word Ms. Uh, in the New York Times. So I had to address that in Ms. Magazine. And um, and I will see you next week on The Becca Cook Show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And I'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Becca Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Becca Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace and throughout scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.